the Art of Leadership Network. In that season, it was a hard season because people, I didn't know the new people coming in, but I knew the old people that were leaving. And so it accentuated the goodbyes and it shut down the hellos. And uh, Larry Osborne told me once, uh, you have to fight your way to the fringe. And, you know, we, we tend to stay in with the people that we know and keep close to the core and the center. But life is on the fringe. That's where the new people are coming in. That's where the life change happens. If you're not fighting your way to the fringe and being there with the lost and people that are messed up and hurting, then you're not going to experience the, the life. And it, so for me, I, I had to do that. I'm an introvert. I still struggle with going out into the lobbies uh, of the church, but I'm fighting my way to the fringe. Well, what is up, Church Plant families? Mike Kickerson with the Unfair Advantage podcast to help church planters go further faster. Super excited about this episode. But before we get into the episode, I want to pause and thank Food for the Hungry for the sponsorship of this episode. Um, and FH.org is their website. If you're a church looking for a missions partner, they are incredible. Check it out. They will help you across the whole globe get involved with what God is doing. Uh, FH.org backslash churches is where to go for help. Also, this show is honored to be part of the Art of Leadership Network with Carrie Newhoff. Carrie is the founder of the Art of Leadership Academy, which is an online and learning community that will help with premium on-demand courses and strategies and insights to help you grow as a church leader. It is unbelievable. Theartofleadershipacademy.com to learn more. I love Carrie. love what all they're doing. We are going to get started with Ron Sylvia, who is a church planner in the Springs. I love Ron. This episode has so much good content. Here we go with Ron Sylvia. What is up? Church Plant Podcast family, um, Mike Kickerson, and I have the privilege of hanging out today with Ron Sylvia, who I would refer to as one of the OGs of church planting, super um, just inspirational story, and he is still invested in church planting and church planters. Uh, he's one of the the heroes in, in my world of people that have invested in me, people that have encouraged me, challenged, equipped, so just really excited to be here today. So Ron, maybe... Give us a little intro of of you, and uh, we'll get into your story a little bit. But like, what's what's your you know season these days? Oh man, well, Mike. First of all, thanks for the invite. It is great to be here and uh, to talk about probably one of my favorite subjects, which is church planting. And you know where where I am today. Uh, uh, my wife and I planted the springs twenty eight years ago. Uh, so today. I live vicariously through church planters. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's the, for 28 years, uh, we, we, we have been, uh, walking with church planters, encouraging church planters, uh, sharing our journey, our story, our pains, uh, and our joys. But man, uh, we are loving life right now at Church of the Springs in Ocala, Florida. We're, uh, we have three campuses now. We're, uh, working on building our fourth campus out. And, uh, so, uh, but for Teddy and I, uh, we started this whole journey with three boys. And now 28 years later, we have three boys, three daughter-in-laws, eight grandchildren, all nine and under. So living the dream in Florida, man. 
Dude, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, so the springs, maybe throw the website out for us, or so we'll drop it in the in the the link as well. But the springs in Ocala, Florida, Florida is a super compelling church, and Ron and his wife and team have been invested in church planters from the beginning. And so that, that it was a no brainer for uh, for us to have this conversation. I was begging to have this conversation about <laughs> let's let's uh, let you have help our next generation of church planters out a little bit. So. Um, Maybe let's walk through like just the the journey of like I don't know that everyone knows the springs in Ocala, so maybe let's yeah. just give us the journey your journey of, of church planting before it was cool, right? Yeah, before it was cool. It was, yeah. Well, first of all, most people don't even know where Ocala is, so uh, we're but we're Central Florida, and uh, you know Teddy and I we did student ministry like so many church planners, uh, we did student ministry for 10 years. We loved it. And I did not want to be a lead pastor, uh, because I didn't think I did old people well, <laughs> right? I didn't, I didn't do hospitals. Yeah. That's my story a hundred percent as well. So I'm with you. <laughs> okay. That's why we get I just, that's yeah. So I'm, you know, and, and now fast forward, I am the old guy. So it's just, uh, in those early years, though, we said, we just want to stay in student ministry. And I loved everything I loved about student ministry is probably why I love church planting. Hmm. Because you, you know, you were with, you know, you were coloring outside the lines. You were trying things that didn't work in regular church. Uh, you were reaching a new generation. And so for us, uh, when God called us to start the Springs, I wasn't looking for it. I didn't know what it was. Uh, we were sitting in a worship service. We had just finished a week-long camp, had an awesome camp with our students, and God and I began a conversation. And, uh, and it was one of those whispers of God in my life that uh, God spoke and said, I want you to begin a contemporary praise and worship church. That's the only language I understood. So he was probably dumbing it down for me, <laughs> you know, but that, and, and I knew what he meant. And I, and I know, but as soon as I sensed God speaking that, I mean, I just kind of whispered up and said, God, if this is you, I need a lot of confirmation because I've had a lot of squirrely ideas in my life and I need confirmation. And I no sooner got that thought off my heart that uh, our son, Jared, who uh, was in second grade at the time, he was doing what second graders do. He's sitting next to me and he's drawing in church. And he reached up, tugged on my sleeve and said, Daddy, I love to hear you preach. I wish I could hear you preach every Sunday. Hmm. And then he went back to drawing. And I said, God, that's my son, and he's going to say stuff like that. I needed adult confirmation. And God began to back up what Teddy and I have called through the years, the dump truck of confirmation hmm. through scripture and circumstances and people. Uh, and we, we started journaling, and every day God was confirming that we're, we were to start a church. I didn't know how to do it. Nobody was doing it. There was one book on church planting back in 1994, and it was Aubrey Malfer's. And, uh, and that, that was the only book out. I mean, Rick Warren hadn't even written the purpose driven church yet. And so we were, we started and I, 
I, I didn't even realize uh, what it was going to take and how to do it. And uh, and so when we started, we began with 21 people. We met in an uh, office complex and in an old office, man, with these desks and overhead projectors for uh, we flipped the transparency with the words for the worship. And I mean, it was cutting edge all the way. Cutting edge. Absolutely. I mean, you even sang the third stanza from time to time. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So once, <laughs> is that also the day when you, when he, when Jared was in second grade that he became your favorite when he said, I want to hear you. I love, would love to hear you preach every week. Is that, <laughs> is that when that happened? <laughs> no, no, that's not the day he became my favorite. That's the day he became my intern. <laughs> and, that's, that's smart. That, that's that, that was big you know, early on with our boys, uh, Jared and Jacob. At that point, we we gave them business cards uh, that said Church of the Springs intern. And, you know, everybody knows what an intern is. It means you work a lot and you get paid nothing. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, we had them. It was a family adventure from day one. Hmm. Uh, we were all uh in it now, when we we started the springs, we really thought we we're going to reach normal people like us. Uh, that was, I mean, that's kind of what a plan was. Uh, and we we didn't realize that God was going to send broken people, hmm. and uh, and then God broke our heart for those people. And hmm. I mean, our our the springs when we began, God sent a group of bikers and he sent a group of addicts and the only church experience I had was a suit and a tie. And those people didn't fit into that. And I just remember Teddy and I talked about this so many times through the years that uh, we, our first wedding at the Springs was a biker wedding. (laughs) And I, I mean, they didn't show you how to do biker weddings in seminary. No. You know, and so they lined up the uh, Harleys and man, they came down the middle aisle and they were sitting on the bike screaming and shouting. And I remember as I'm watching that, just kind of whispering to God saying, God, this isn't really what I had in mind, you know? And, and then it's back to the, the whisper of God was so clear. It's exactly what I had in mind. Man. And God orchestrated and changed and sh- it just literally broke my heart, shaped my heart. Uh, and man, the Springs was born. Uh, and man, we, uh, you know, th- that was the first year all of that happened. Uh, but it was also the darkest year of our lives. Um, mm. We, we weren't, we weren't ready because, I mean, we didn't have any financial support. We didn't know you could ask people for money. We emptied out our retirement, and that's how we started the Springs. And uh, and we stayed in the same town where I was a youth pastor, which I begged God not to make me do that. Um, but uh, Psalm 37 was our calling, and mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, and God was so clear. I, I remember I had my quiet time on the back porch and I came in and, uh, and God had brought me to Psalm 37 where it says dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And, and he said, you're going to stay in this land. And, uh, that was so clear to me 
Uh, I thought I was going to Atlanta or Orlando. I like big cities. I was from a big city. Mm-hmm. And I came in off the back porch and Teddy said, did, how the quiet time? How was the quiet time? I said, good. And I said, baby, he's going to make us stay in Ocala. Mm-hmm. And Teddy, you know, being the encouraging wife looked at me and said, no, he's not. Go back <laughs> out and ask again. <laughs> Go stand, go stand out there until he changes his mind. So. I did. So, so I did, man. I went back outside and I, you know, I said, God, you know, this woman that you gave me, you know, she, she wants to know. <laughs> so, but we, we began that and, and that's what made it the, just a heartbreaking, challenging year. We were, we were misunderstood. Yeah. I want to get into that part. I want to scoot back a little bit too. Um, because we we get to be friends, so I know some of this story. So, but to think of 1994, and you know there weren't any like like models out. I mean, there was like you were kind of on your own in church plant world, right? Oh yeah. And to go like if you're from suit and tie world, which was pretty normal in church world in 1994, and then who God brings you, for lack of a better term, in the place where you are is is bikers and addicts and you're in a, in a, and you're in a small room of 21, like get me back there. And then I do want to talk about the pain of the first year, uh, but I also want to talk about who God brings you in the first year. Can you help me like some of the why behind when God was confirming some of that? Yeah, I think uh, because we didn't know what we were doing or how to do it. And we just started, you know, we just kind of, 21 people, we just started. And, and then, and, and honestly, it was so bad. <laughs> Teddy and I, we, we, we drive home going, why did they come back? It, I mean, and I literally, they started bringing people, uh, the next week. And then with, within about four or five weeks, we had 70 people crammed into this little room. And I literally stood up in front of them and I said, y'all, Stop inviting people. We're, we don't know what we're doing yet. And, uh, and made evangelism strategy, by the way, it's just tell them to stop. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and they didn't though, obviously, but, uh, but one, there was one conversation that for me turned the springs. Um, we were about 75 people in our second location and, like six months in and this guy comes up to me at the end of the service. And he said, uh, he said, pastor, I really enjoyed, uh, the service. And I just want to know if I would be welcome here. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, he had a name tag on Nelson. And I said, Nelson, yeah, absolutely, man. You'd be well, man, we'd love you. He said, wait, before you answer that though, I need to tell you who I am. Uh, I'm a biker. And I dress normal today, but I usually wear my colors and I bring people with me that we're trying to reach. And they're, they're pretty scary looking people. And I just want to know if we'd be welcome to go to church here. And I looked at him. And I said, yes, Nelson, man, we would love for you to come. And he got tears came up in his eyes. He had this weathered face. I'll never forget that face. And. And he looked at me and he said, you're the first pastor in Marion County that said we can come to church here. 
And I remember walking away from that conversation where I still get tears thinking about it because I remember saying, God, what have we built that we would tell people they're not welcome? And, and that's when God just flung the door open. Uh, and, you know, he, man, did they come? Oh gosh. Bikers were everywhere and, and recovering addicts. I don't know. I didn't know anything at that time about addiction or, uh, and nobody talked about that. And that, and I mean, they started coming and we started a 12 step ministry. And, and I remember we had one of our, uh, addicts who came to Christ and man, she was on fire for the Lord and she went, uh, relapsed and we couldn't find her. And I remember, uh, it was one o'clock in the morning. Uh, another guy in our church who had headed up the recovery ministry and I were going through crack houses in Ocala hmm. look, looking for her. Hmm. And um, because we loved her and she was lost. And that, that, that shaped me, man. Those, those first couple of years changed the trajectory of what the Springs was always going to be. Yeah. I mean, well, we've been talking a little bit, if you've been tracking along with this podcast, that if it's not about lost people, if we're planting churches to, because we think we can do it better, or if we think we can educate it better, or if we think we know how to, whatever it may be that we think we're better at, that's the wrong motives for planting, for planting right. churches. So thanks for taking us back to that. Um, cause I, yeah. I agree. I mean, if your heart doesn't break it, like for what breaks God's heart and why he came and great commission and Luke 15 and all, all that stuff, then we got to get about that. Um, I, now I do want to spend some time on the why of church planting, uh, when, when it was difficult, but you still felt conviction, you know, that first year was hard for you and mm -hmm. you felt conviction that God had, you absolutely called you to it and you had the right motives for people like that for the lost people in your world. And it was a hard personal time. Like how did you navigate the whys behind church planting, like knowing what you're called to and also the difficulty that it was personally at the time. Like, I think that's a, a season that every planter is in at some point. I think uh, Teddy and I, we knew what God had called us to. Um, but we didn't know how. And the truth is, I mean, if you look back <laughs> at everything we did and you compare it to all the training in church planning today, we did everything wrong. <laughs> you know, it, there was nothing that we did that was right. You know, I've said through the years, I know Rick Warren wrote the purpose driven church and we were going to write the mistake driven church because <laughs> it, we, we literally did the only thing we did right was listen to God's voice. Hmm. And man, we, in those days, we, we knew his voice and man, we leaned in and we prayed through and we, uh, because I think so many times, uh, it, that's the calling piece though. That's it. This isn't a career choice. Mm -hmm. This is like, and, and it, it's a, and that's what I always tell planners. It's, it's the calling. If we didn't have our calling that we knew that God had called us to do this, we, we would have bailed, you know, six months in. 
um, because we, but we knew what God had called us to, and we knew that he was with us and God just showed up at every corner. Uh, but we went through a time that, you know, we didn't have any money. We literally didn't have any money. We didn't get paid for the first uh, six months. We lived off our retirement. Um, we lost all of our friends. Uh, we were, we were slandered in the community. Uh, we were, people told other people that we were a cult. Our character was assassinated. Uh, it was dark and, but it was dark on the outside, but man, on the inside, I, the, the people that were coming to Christ and the radical life change, that's what we live for. Hmm. And I think that's what kept us sane in the middle of it. Um, so, you know, for us, it really was. We lived for our people and what God was doing uh, at at the Springs. Because here's the thing: we had never seen that before. Right. I mean, I, now I didn't grow up in a church, so church was foreign to me. I, I mean, we, my parents were Christian by name, but not by practice, and uh, and so we didn't grow up in a church. And I'd never been a part of a church until I was 21 years old. So, uh, but man, when we got to see, I, I I sit and think so many times I've got faces and names and seasons and what God did miraculous things in people's lives. And that's what we live for. And I think had, had we been getting our teeth kicked in on the outside and nothing happening on the inside and just, uh, yeah, I don't think we would have made it. I mean, I've been in rooms with you and you are so kind and your wife is amazing um, of looking back and helping planters that are in that season go like, man, you're not alone. You're not crazy. It mm-hmm. is difficult, you know, and and just helping encourage along the way. So th- I thank you for being. Yeah, I mean, you've done that for multiple decades. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to know a couple of the if you were going like the like some mistakes that you made early on. I mean, I know that you probably figured out how to plant with purpose and you help you, you like you even helped us like figure out how do we proactively help the next generation not make the, some of the same mistakes. But when you think mm-hmm. through some of the mistakes you made, or, I mean, I even know, I, I'm trying to remember the amounts of times you moved locations yeah. in the first year. I was trying to remember the number and it's going to be a shocking yeah. number. I've, I, for, I know, I know close, but I'll let you tell the story of that. And then maybe mistakes that you, that you know now that you're trying to help planters avoid. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, moves, we moved, uh, 15 times in the first 15 years. We, we literally took out an ad in the newspaper. You remember when people used to put ads in a newspaper? And, and it said, if you can find us, you can worship with us. And I, I have no idea why we put an ad like that in the paper, but we did. It's subversive. It's subversive. That's what it is. Uh, but, <laughs> Yeah, we had, I mean, I remember one guy came to, uh, to us and he had visited in the past and he walked in the door of a new location and he said, I've been looking for you guys for six months. I, I mean, I showed up where you used to be and you just disappeared. (laughs) Uh, I was a huge advocate of moving though. 
because uh, every time we moved a Sunday morning location, we added a hundred people wow. and, and we didn't move strategically. Uh, we moved at a necessity. And um, so we would move like 20 miles away. And I mean, it, there was, it, it was crazy, but every time we did, it was like God sent a new wave of people. And, um, and it, uh, so for us, uh, you know, that journey was, uh, I, I think for me, as much of a faith builder, uh, and, you know, when you, when you see enough of God's movement and that it doesn't make sense on the outside, but it makes sense in the kingdom of God. And, um, so those, those were fun days. So, um, yeah, give, me a, give me a, give me a, if you don't mind a couple, like just things that you made mistakes on that you would counsel planters like, man, I wish I would have known this when I was, when we were mm. in that. Uh, yeah. I mean, the biggest early one was, I chose leaders way too quickly. Hmm. Uh, it's because what I didn't realize is that when you started a new church, you attracted uh, people who had been churched and they wanted to come be a big fish in a little pond and tell this new young pastor how to do things. And I trusted them uh, because that's kind of like, I mean, I, I don't, I, I didn't have discernment as a gift. My wife has that, but, and so for me, we just, I thought, you know, I need, I need accountability. I need guys around me. And so I grabbed like six guys and, um, I thought they're Christians. And, you know, at the Springs, yeah, at that point, if you'd been a believer for two weeks, you were an elder, you know, it it was just that, that was the kind of, you just took whoever you can get, but, uh, but that was a major mistake uh, because they, I mean, early on, I didn't fully understand the vision of the Springs, and they definitely didn't. And when I told them we're going to reach the lost and it's about people far from God, uh, man, I'll never forget one guy that I, I loved, and he was on our leadership team. And uh, he he looked at me and he said, hey, evangelism is for outside, not inside. We, this the church isn't a place for lost people, and we're not going to do that here. And I and I looked at him and I said, Jeff, I love you, man, but the vision's not for sale. Hmm. And and he said, Well, if you're going to continue with this stuff about trying to reach the lost here, he said, I'm out of here. And, I, and man, for me, uh, it was hard because I looked at him and I said, Well, I'm going to miss you. And, and he was a tither, you know? <laughs> so it was like those early, you don't have a lot of those early. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but I think too soon and putting together a group and, uh, and there was that early season that, man, I lost everybody on, our, you know, on our leadership team in, uh, in, let's see the first six months. Yeah, you've heard heard through the years people say, well, you know what, you're going to lose most of your core team in the first two years. I was on the accelerated plan. I lost them in six months. Yeah, and there is that. We can talk a little bit later about, the, I mean, uh, the death of the dream type of thing. That we, this language mm-hmm. that me and you have used of like there's people that are coming in 
And then for whatever reason, it's they have a plan for it and God uses them as scaffolding, but it's not the people that are going to be with you long haul. And that's painful for a planter if you're not prepared for it. So, Oh, it is. I mean, it's, um, and I, so, you know, for us, I think that that is a, a painful time because you, uh, uh, you know, early years of people come and people go. And what I, what we learned is you have to hold, hold people loosely and God tightly. Hmm. And good work. because, because it was people come and go. And, uh, and that's hard because we think we're pastors. We love people. Why would they leave? And we don't want them to leave. And I, one thing that we determined early on is we're not going to be chasers. Uh, we're going to chase the lost, but we're not going to chase the already convinced. And, and I, <laughs> I found out that that, that offended some people. Yeah. Cause I, I had people that got mad and they left and they said, you never called me to check on me. I was like, I, you didn't call me either. I mean, my phone works too. And so I think that, you know, that whole piece of just letting people go, Who's it? Uh, you know, again, I mean, I cut my teeth with purpose driven and Rick was a great friend and mentor for me. And, uh, and one of the things he said early on was he said, leading a growing church is like preaching to a parade. You have to learn how to say hello and goodbye. Hmm. And I didn't like that. And there's nothing about that that makes me feel good, but it's truth. And, um, and mistakes, one of the big mistakes I made early on, um, I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't like crowds, uh, which is God's sense of humor. Let, let's put them up in front of a couple thousand people every week. This will be fun. So, but because of that, I didn't like the whole lobby scene where there's hundreds of people that I don't know coming in and, uh, it was very stressful for me. So, uh, I had somebody in a very large giga church that I asked advice on what I should do about that. And, and he said, why would you go out into the lobby? Because that you're just giving the people the perception that you're available to them. And you're not. Your schedule's full. You already have leaders you're trying to get with. And the last thing you want to do is tell people you can't do lunches and dinners. And that resonated with me because I was an introvert and I was looking for a way out. <laughs> so during that next season, I didn't go. I stayed in the green room in the back between services. We were doing five services a weekend at that point. And, uh, and I, I didn't want to come out. And, um, and what I realized was, uh, I had in that season, it was a hard season because people, I didn't know the new people coming in, but I knew the old people that were leaving. And so it accentuated the goodbyes and it shut down the hellos. Yep. And, uh, Larry Osborne told me once, uh, you have to fight your way to the fringe. And, you know, we, we tend to stay in with the people that we know and keep close to the core and the center, but life is on the fringe. That's where the new people are coming in. That's where the life change happens. If you're not fighting your way to the fringe and being there with the lost and people that are messed up and hurting, then you're not going to experience the, the life. 
And it, so for me, I, I had to do that. I'm an introvert. I still struggle with going out into the lobbies uh, of the church, but I'm fighting my way to the fringe. I think I couldn't affirm that a hundred percent. Like if, if you're not going like who is, you know, no one's going to get to the fringe for you and, and, you know, lead the way in that as a planter. Absolutely. I, mm-hmm. I would love to just look back. If you're looking over the scope of planters and you've, you've helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plants over your uh, couple decades mm-hmm. at the Springs. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, I would love for you to look back and go like, what are some, Give us some warnings of some of the motives behind planting that you would just maybe have a have a planter check themselves or have a planter and spouse check themselves on, even in the midst of the first couple of years. And then uh, maybe give us some of the give us an encouragement on like what you'd say to, to planters that are navigating that navigating the either a year before or up to two years in like that early window. Give us some warnings. Mm-hmm around motive and then some encouragement around the season. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, warnings, uh, Jim Cimbala said in one of his books, humility is a magnet for the Holy spirit. And it, when it's so easy to believe that, when growth happens and success happens, that it was all about you. And I've, I've lived long enough to realize I don't think much of it was about me. Um, I believe it was about some of the godly people that God put in our place that prayed for us and believed in us. And they, they, they did the spiritual war uh, on their knees for us. And uh, they, they, they loved us. And uh, I had a guy come to me that said in the early years, he, he had been in ministry and he said, Ron, I've been in ministry. And when I was, I had guys in my church that I could count on for anything. And I never had to worry about. And he said, I want to be that guy for you. You can count on me for anything and you never have to worry about me. I just, I will never be on the stage. I don't want to be in front of a microphone. I want to set up the chairs and pick up the trash. And this guy is a vice president of one of the largest corporations in the country. And that's who he is. And, I, and those are the people uh, that, when God sends them, I mean, I, I guess in church planning, the, the thing that's confusing to me oftentimes is the bravado that comes uh, from people that planters that uh, I learned early on that when they come and they want to meet with me, um, if I learn not to say much early on, because I don't know how you handle it, Mike, but if they come in and they just want to tell me everything that's going on, if they don't ask me any questions, uh, I just sit and listen. And if they just want to tell me everything that they're doing and how great it is and what's going on, I'll just listen. And, but if they never ask me a question, I, I'll pray for them and say, great meeting you. Because if you're not a learner, if you're not a voracious learner, 
if you're not asking questions, I mean, then, well, yeah, I mean, Scripture says that God opposes the proud. It's just that he doesn't, not in favor of them. He, he lines up against you when you're proud. Amen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have always been in that place where I realized, God, I just never want to stop learning. And I think, uh, uh, you know, because a growing church is always led by a growing leader. And whenever a leader stops growing, the church starts dying. And I think, uh, you know, I, I've watched that one, uh, you know, so for me, uh, humility is a big part. I'm always looking because you, you know that, man. I mean, you're, you're that way. I know that about Mike Hickerson, man. You, first time I met you, I, I saw that and I said, you know what? This guy, he's got a humility about him. He doesn't think you're cleaning up stuff and setting up stuff. And, and man, you, you're a leader of a different level. And, but that's how God uses people like you, man. And, uh, it's been fun to, uh, to watch that in, when I look at the leaders in church planting, so many of them have that humility because we realize outside of what God's doing in our lives, man, we're toast. Yep. And uh, we have nothing to bring to the table except the gifts he brought us and gave us. And then the relationship that we have because of him, you know, I think right. uh, there is this bravado you said as a way of like, man, it's so fake and fleeting. So don't, don't bring that to the table planters. You want to bring a, a confident humility, like confidence mm-hmm. in who you are and humility that it's not about you. So all that, yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you're so encouraging. Um, if if you were just going to give one encouragement to the planters that are up and coming or processing it or thinking about it or in it, like, yeah, what would you, mm-hmm. you can say more than one? I'm just at least one. I know you've got one yeah. in your heart. What would you say to yeah. us? Well, I'd say that what I always like to say to planters is uh, if you're just starting, if you're early, early in, and, and I hope this doesn't sound weird, but there's a piece of me that really envies you because uh, you're on the front end of seeing your faith become fact. You're you're on the front end of the miracles that you cannot even begin to imagine. You are at the beginning of Ephesians 3.20 where God wants to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever dream of. And... And so, I mean, for me, I love the story because it's like, okay, you got to trust God. You got to believe. You have no idea what he's going to do. You have no idea that there is a generation that is depending on you to walk so close to God that the spirit of God moves through your midst and you are going to realize it didn't have much to do with you, but you got to be a part of it. And so, I mean, for, for me, I love the stories of planters. And I, what I tell uh, planters oftentimes, like we're, Mike, when you and I are doing training, you probably heard me talk about some of them. What I have come to know as the legends of the springs, uh, those are the stories of people and life change and miracles. And they're the legends that are, we talk about regularly at the springs. Planters, you are writing the legends of your church right now you are in the midst of legendary days and man just buckle up chase hard after jesus and uh it's gonna be fun run
Yep. And write them down because you'll forget them when you get old. So, (laughs) Ron, I'm like you and Teddy are amazing for real. uh, Church plant family. The Springs is an amazing church. And Ron has got just depths and depths and depths of wisdom and humility to offer. So generous. Um, really proud to be friends. I'm, uh, it's in- inspiring to watch uh, all that God has used your family and you guys and your church and your influence. Um, so thank you for the, the literally thousands and thousands and thousands of lives that you've helped impact for the way that you've led. So it matters and grateful. Um, we will catch up and I'm sure we'll have more conversations. Uh, thank you so much, Ron. Have a great one. Peace. All right, Mike. Thanks, brother. Well, just a huge thank you to Ron Sylvia. Man, what a great episode. So much good stuff there. Uh, Just the why behind church planning. I love Ron. I have deep respect for him. Uh, As always, your feedback is encouraged to me. So if you want to send an email at mike.hickerson at missionventura.com, if you want to shoot me a text, I would love any feedback on this episode or other content you'd like to hear in the future or maybe potential guests or anything that you know about that. I'm also a coach with the Ascent Leader Network. And then, man, Ascent is uh, is a great organization that's helping people go further faster as well in community. Uh, Don't do this alone, no matter what you're kind of navigating or going through, especially if you're a church planner. I've been able to be a coach for a church planner over the last year and really love what's going on in the hearts and minds of church planners out there. So if you need help with that, ascentleader.org can help you get connected in any way. Just don't do this alone and you're not crazy. Until next time, much love and peace. Peace.